Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we welcome Kevin Kelly. Kevin is a musical theater guy. He sings, he dances, he acts, he does drama, he does comedy. He's also an educator, a vocal teacher, uh, an amazing cabaret artist, and a, a big band swing singer. He's, he's just the total package, man. And uh, truth be told, I, I hate him just a little teeny tiny bit, but don't tell him I said that. Anyway, Kevin joins me and Matthew this week to watch Season 8, Episode 16, called A Winter's Tale, which had an original air date of February 7th, 1987. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Kevin Kelly. Well, who is this on my Zoom screen? The amazing multi-talented musical theater virtuoso kevin kelly hello hello david how are you doing i am doing fantabulously now have you and matthew arter met before have your paths crossed oh yes they have Mm -hmm. oh absolutely excellent oh good so we have quite an episode here to discuss um yeah season eight episode 16 called a winter's tale which had an original air date of February 7th, 1987. This is the name of Shakespeare play, isn't it? It is a winter's tale. Okay. Well, that's it. They steal these titles or do wordplay with other titles and stuff like that. So I thought it was familiar. It's not one of the Shakespeare's I'm familiar with, but I'm not as into Shakespeare as most uh, actors are. So, And that's okay. Abs-a-goddamn-lutely. Damn it. So, Kevin Kelly, before Mm -hmm. we get started actually talking about the show, I always like to ask my guest, do you have a history with the Facts of Life? Did you watch the show when it was in its first run? I did. Um, It's interesting because this episode was my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. Uh Oh, I know. It was my first year of college. So, yeah, believe me, I'm feeling old, too. Yeah. It's And I have to say, this is the time that I didn't watch the Facts of Life as religiously because, you know, there were other things happening in high school. Um, but uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the show and the characters, and I actually love that Cloris Leachman joined the cast because oh, she's yes. one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. She is, she is magnificent. The material they're writing for her is sometimes a, a little in the little... Mm-hmm place yeah i don't um, think she was uh genuinely chloris in this at all but she was trying to fill big shoes with charlotte gone yeah and also trying to figure out where does any older maternal woman fit in when as of the beginning of this season tootie is 18 so they are all adult college age women now where right. they likely in real life not be in a situation where they're living with a parent full time. Right. So 
again, you kind of think to yourself, why did they think they even needed to at all? Maybe they could have yeah. tried a season to see if the, the four of them could have carried it uh, and kept George Clooney around. Oh, just, please. <laughs> oh, George just departed last week and we're still burning black candles, by the way. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you remember these years, the over our heads years, the Beverly Ann, the the crazy Spencer's Gifts, Color Splash Store. Oh, God, yes. Oh, cool. Good. Absolutely. So. Even that stupid little scrappy-doo we've got with, uh, what was his name? <laughs> you mean Mac- Mackenzie. Mackenzie Aston as Andy? Yeah. <laughs> scrappy-doo. He is the scrappy-doo of this show. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Uh, we definitely, uh, being of the generation that we are, uh, we're predisposed to hate anytime they add a kid to a show. We always know that's God, death, yes. the Cousin Oliver syndrome. But truly, he is kind of a extraneous appendage in this show. He doesn't need right. to be there. At least they give him something to do. But usually we like Andy. At least his timing and delivery is right. Yeah. He's not All like right. a coached 13-year-old. And... Uh, to to that end, I recommend people look back at season one of The Facts of Life and uh, look at Molly Ringwald. And you see yeah. that really overly coached style of delivery. That's right. Mrs. Garrett said she was a fucking cunt. <laughs> and it's like... <sighs> ah, she did all right for herself. Though. Yeah, she did okay, thankfully. All right. Well, to drop some nuts and bolts here regarding the episode, this was written by Bob Underwood. This is the only episode of The Facts of Life that he will write or has written. Previously, he wrote for Charles in Charge and The Twilight Zone. This is pretty early in his career. He would go on to write and produce Night Court, uh, Nurses, Daddy Dearest, which is a show that was Richard Lewis and Don Rickles doing a father and son type of a show. You know, a career son and an irascible, cranky old dad. <laughs> Um, there's a show called Good and Evil, which was a 1991 Susan Harris show, a broad farce about two sisters played by Terry Garr and Margaret Witten. I don't remember that at all. At all. Nope. And then there was also a show called Malibu CA, or I don't know if it was actually called Malibu, California, but that was a 1998 series where two young brothers from New York City moved to sunny California and the culture shock that happens. And it was a syndicated teen sitcom by Peter Engel, who also created Saved by the Bell. So uh, Bob Underwood still had uh, quite a bit of work ahead of him. And uh, the episode was directed by John Boab. John was the in-house director. He pretty much did all of the episodes. That was very common in sitcoms to have uh, a sort of alpha director who does most of the episodes. And uh, yeah, we have multiple guest stars this episode, but I want to talk about them when the time comes. Oh, okay. We'll keep it under wraps until then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so before we get into the microscopic dissection that I like to do, Kevin, this is yes. where we like to put our guest on the spot Damn it. and ask you if okay. you would please provide a simple one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, not unlike a listing you might find in a TV guide. Oh my God, of course she asked me that. If it runs too long, Matthew will judge you. No pressure, uh, go. Oh, great. All right, so the girls are on their last ski trip 
that they're ever going to take with each other. Uh, there's double booking, naturally, with three other guys in the cabin, so the hilarity ensues. Uh, and then Beverly Ann comes to save the day to make sure that the girls are not being compromised. Excellent. Preserving yeah. their precious virginities. Right. <laughs> yes, which is very much like uh, a Golden Girls episode when they traveled Where'd they go to Cuba or? Oh, Matthew's a Golden Girls expert. They had to share the bathroom with three boys. Yeah, I don't think they established like that they went to Cuba. They just went to some exotic location right. and ended up on the wrong side of the island. Um, <laughs> we just got shipwrecked on the bad side. <laughs> or it was, so it was when they thought they were literally thought they were going to die. And right. they all they had three men one of them played by the wonderful um what's this pussy um he was in um high school usa david uh tom villard that's him so it is like that episode of the golden girls except somehow the golden girls was even more believable and more real (laughs) (laughs) than this piece of shit we just sat through oh Oh, my god whoa Okay, I was going to say, next I was literally going to say, overall general thoughts, how it is as an episode. Not my favorite, not one of the strongest. Um, Agreed. We have a lot of weak episodes this season and coming up next season too, Kevin. And I I just want you to know, it has nothing to do with you. I invited you because I wanted you to be on the podcast, not because I wanted to subject you to a shitty episode. Well, thank you. They're all this bad. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god yeah it was rough to get through it was there was a lot of cringe as the kids would say yeah. um so let's get started with it the uh first scene we've got tootie natalie and joe descending the stairs in their winter coats with their suitcases preparing to leave for a ski weekend Andy wishes they could take him with them and they say no andy is the horniest 13 year old boy on television kevin yeah, that's why is. we get lines like, so you're saying I won't be able to meet a snow bunny named Ingrid? <laughs> and right. do what with her? Exactly. <laughs> Dog chasing a bus, kid. What is that about? <laughs> oh, again, Scrappy do. We're, we're dealing with Scrappy here. I but, will say that because of shows like this and things in the 80s, I thought ski trips were going to be be a much bigger thing in my life than than they actually were really like i just felt like a lot of tv shows and a lot of i was like oh i guess ski trips are a thing i've never been skiing yeah i'm gonna surprise you there i actually <laughs> part of my my um my upbringing was in colorado so the ski trips actually did happen but nothing like this oh I went to college in Western Massachusetts. So the ski club, and there were actually a couple of ski classes, you know, they had a lab fee of several hundred dollars, but they would take, basically they'd get on buses and go up to Vermont, which is not, that's only like a couple hours away when you're in Massachusetts. So it was not difficult to ski growing up in New England. Uh, My family never did it and I never had any interest because I am somewhat committed to not dying. <laughs> Just saying. That's all good. Yeah. I spent most of my skiing life th- doing the snowplow. 
going very slowly down the hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I wiped out on the bunny hill to, and, and ended up in a cardboard box. Because oh, I sprained. I, yeah, yeah. You Much sprained? like Tom Villard. <laughs> Good tie-in. Good tie-in. So the scene is not a very long scene. Tootie is taking some pictures that will come back later in a scene that is deleted from the syndicated version. So Kevin, you have not seen this little scene. What you saw um, is the version with three minutes missing to make more room for commercials. You lucky bastard. Yeah. I guess so. I could only imagine what kind of insights that three minute scene would have brought to the show. Oh, you have no idea. Uh, <laughs> Clearly. So Tootie does also say, this is an important trip. And Andy, you also wouldn't be welcome because this is our last time for the four of us to take a trip together on a vacation before Blair and Joe graduate in the upcoming spring. And so it's kind of a last hurrah sort of a sure. uh, friendship trip. So, um, and yeah, that's nice. That's all fine and dandy. Then next scene, we arrive at the cabin. Now Blair is with them. Blair wasn't with them in the first scene. Uh, and no sooner do they arrive and look around the place, dude walks out in a towel. Two towel. towels to be specific. Two towels. He had one around his neck, just making sure he didn't show too much. Yeah, well, they, they showed plenty, believe me. And, uh, and it was quite lovely. Also, also wearing a wristwatch. What in the fuck was that? You get out of the shower, toweled off, put on his wristwatch, and then said, oh, someone's at the door. I'm just going to wrap my towel around me and go see who it is. Oh, come on. It was it was in the days of the swatch. And weren't those all waterproof anyway? Were, were they? I don't remember. Yeah, uh, That was a big thing then. I remember the swatches. Yeah, I didn't have one. I wasn't fancy like that. He also um, had slippers on, which grossed me out. <laughs> yes. Why? Like, what? what? Really? You're going to be just, oh, just a towel. But my slippers. Like, <laughs> I can't. Like, you wanted to see his with, feet. That's I did what was see, going on. I did want to see his feet, and I wiki-feeted him, but he's not on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no sooner do they look at this guy and say, what is, huh, what's going on? Two other guys come out of the kitchen, and they are quickly introduced as Hopper is the guy in the towel, Ernie is the uh, blonde. Oh, Hopper's the brunette. Ernie is the blonde. And Dwayne is the redhead. We got one of each. Because <laughs> you need that. Yeah. I was wondering where the black one was, because as far as the girls go, we have a dark hair, a blonde and a redhead. Uh, yeah. It's um... weird that there were three, three guys and four girls. And Tootie ended up kind of being the odd one out as far as not that any big anything's uh, developed romantically, but it was interesting that you wonder if one draft didn't have a fourth guy and they're like, do we really need four of them? Really? <laughs> so there's been some confusion. The place has been double booked. It's a problem with the executive secretaries at the corporations that Blair owns and that the redhead owns, Dwayne. And so, oh, what a kerfuffle. We're all here and we can't all stay in the same cabin. We're girls and you're boys. And the boys say, and you can't stay here because this is actually a bachelor party weekend. We got nine more guys coming. And 
and it's Dwayne's uh, bachelor party, Dwayne the redhead. And so they're like, oh, and they do say, I mean, if you want to, you can stay here. And Natalie's like, yep, done. Yeah, Natalie was kind of the horn dog of the group, wasn't she? She, I believe the term they used was boy crazy back in those boy days. Boy crazy, not horn dog. But I'll, no, I'll she is. That. Even even five years ago, we're like, and Natalie's horny. <laughs> so yeah, Natalie is into it and we are feeling it too, girl. Uh, so they figure they've got to figure something out. So Dwayne says there's a phone a mile down the road. He'll go and make a phone call, figure out what the fuck happened. Blair says, I'll go with you. So Blair and Dwayne leave and off they go. Was that a thing? Like you went to a cabin and there was no phone? Uh, th- that part I don't remember. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that absolutely did exist. I think in the 1950s and the 60s that there was- but This is you know, 87 for Christ's sake. Exactly. <laughs> there's, yeah, like where you go to you know a, a campground or something and there's one phone nailed to the trunk of a tree that everyone has to share, you know, one payphone. But yeah, part of me is like, if this fancy cabin is owned by Warner Industries and or Dwayne's family's company, you're kind of like, they, they couldn't ring for a fucking phone. They aren't yeah. so important with all of their money that they need to be reached. Did we have the brick phone at this point? Um, the big, the big ass brick the, phone. Like the field that, phone? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That existed in the 80s. Car phones I, and things yeah. like that. So but, you would think that being the wealthy kids that they are, their fathers would at least give them, well, who knows? Nope. Not at all. So let's take a moment and talk about the guys, the actors who are our guest stars this week. Mm-hmm. Let's start with Ernie, the blonde one. This is Tom Hodges is the actor's name. He has 56 credits and a 33-year career. His biggest credit was he was the character of Rich on 30 episodes of Valerie and or The Hogan Family between 1986 and 1990. Uh, He was the, I guess, the best friend-ish character of Jason Bateman. By the way, one episode of Valerie has a story by credit from Tom Hodges. So he contributed a story to the show. So he's got a writing credit. Next, we've got Hopper, the brunette in the towel. He has three (laughs) acting credits, two Facts of Life episodes, one episode of Dallas, nothing else, 0.0. I did Google him, and it looks like he now sells life insurance in Irvine, California. So look up Mark Savalli if you are looking for life insurance out on the West Coast. Does he still have that hairy chest? But he still looks good. He's, you know, gentleman of a certain age, but aren't we all? He still looks good. Yeah. But you did hear me say he was on two episodes of The Facts of Life. Yes. Previously, he was on an episode from season two called Teenage Marriage Part One. It's the one where Joe is about to run off and marry her sailor boyfriend, Eddie. And they go to a fancy French restaurant with Blair and another boy named Bink Parker who are attempting to talk them out of getting married because Joe at this point is only 16. Uh, But the waiter at the fancy French restaurant was this guy, Mark Savalli. So I'm not going to lie. When he comes over to start schmoozing Joe and start chatting up uh, Tootie and handing them his sort of pickup speech about, you know, I'm normally a shy guy and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And I'd hate to have a girl like you slip away. 
I admit I am that guy. I looked at him and went, what you use that line? No, no, I've never used that line. <laughs> well, not where it worked anyway, Correct. but uh, he, I, I'm looking at it going, how old is this? This guy is 35. If he is a day and he's supposed to be a college student. So confirming this theory, and sadly, because his uh, list of credits is, is so scant, there is no information like his date of birth or where he grew up or anything. But if he was in the episode Teenage Marriage, season two, six years prior to this, if he's supposed to be a 21, 22-ish college student right now, then does that mean he was in his teens as the maitre d' fancy waiter of a French restaurant? No, no, no. This is an actor in his early 30s, ladies and gentlemen. Well, good for him. That's all I got to say, because he looks good in the episode. Uh, damn. I mean, whew, the time at the gym's really been paying off. <laughs> it was a shame to have him put the shirt on over the towel. Um, so, yeah. And then lastly, in the role of Dwayne, who will be the most important of these three gentlemen as our plot unfolds, Doug Savant. I had the biggest crush on him oh. when he was on Desperate Housewives. I was into on Melrose Place because he was oh, the gay God, character yes. on Melrose right. Place. I forget about Melrose. But yeah, Doug Savant would go on to be quite famous and quite successful on television if you don't recognize him, and I'm sure anybody would. 159 episodes of Melrose Place between 92 and 97. And it was a big deal because... I know Billy Crystal was the first openly gay character in a television sitcom in the late 70s on Soap. Soap. But there was something about Matt on Melrose Place. He was, I think he was just literally the only openly gay character on, on TV in the 90s at that point on a regular thing. But he was, he was a pretty big gay icon, even though we knew he was straight, he was gay for pay. It was still a big <laughs> deal because representation in the early 90s was still so, so piddly for, right. for us homosexuals. The only other character I can remember is, um, okay, now I can't even remember his name, but he was on Falcon Crest. That sounds familiar because they had like gay characters on Dynasty and things like that. Like they, they popped up here and there, but as far as a regular, I, I forget, there is some type of a landmark something about Doug Savant in the role right. of Matt on Melrose Place. And, oh, he was so dreamy and so <laughs> cute. And, and he is on Wiki Feet, actually. So. Is he? Oh, <laughs> Matthew is a happy guy. You'll have a full weekend. So then after that, he would go on to be on 175 episodes of Desperate Housewives as Tom Scavo, husband to Felicity Huffman. And theirs was the most stable marriage relationship on the show. Thank God. That show was cray, cray. What? Didn't a fucking plane crash in the middle of a I block don't... party in the middle of their street or some shit like that? Like... <laughs> uh, anyway, Doug Savant, so cute. And I think he is just magnificent in this episode. Oh, Okay. I think, well, what he's playing, he's supposed to be a rich guy, but right. he's also supposed to be playing torn about being married. And I believe he is infatuated with Blair. I think his, he hit all the right notes. And I was like, Blair, take yes for an answer. Make, fucking let him, let him split up and let him call off the wedding. 
you snag yourself that guy. Yeah, I think all those months studying Meisner really paid off for him in this moment. <laughs> oh, and another thing for homosexuals, if you Speaking have not of- watched Desperate Housewives, Desperate Housewives is a fascinating show because every single episode, its title was a Stephen Sondheim lyric. Every single I episode. I did not know that. Yep, everything. So if you just want to have some fun, pull up the Desperate Housewives episode list on wikipedia or on imdb and just go down through the lyrics some of them are song titles but just go lyric by lyrics okay that's from unworthy of your love in assassins that's from everybody ought to have a maid in uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum that's from passion you, you can play a little sondheim uh trivia game show if you want to for for that Broadway is an boss. amazing piece of trivia david thank you for that you are most welcome that's what we're here for <laughs> If you ever want to have some fun, (laughs) pull up that IMDb page. Oh, what fun. Oh, my God. See, the weekend is getting fuller and fuller as we go. (laughs) Yeah. In the words of Matthew Arter, we have very differing ideas of fun. (laughs) (laughs) So those are our guest stars. Um, So in the next scene... Hopper is uh, trying to flirt a bit with Joe and uh, not working. Tries to flirt with Tootie, not working. Joe starts talking to Ernie and she says, I know why they call him Hopper now. And he says, I know. I tell him that stupid line never works. Cut to him talking to Natalie and her being all, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, fall for that line, Natalie. You've seen this guy in a towel. Get you some of that. Yep, she was ready to go. Jeez, what's wrong with you? Uh, So Dwayne and Blair come back and they've clearly been bonding and laughing, talking about money and investments because we are rich people. (laughs) And Dwayne has arranged for another cabin, but it's not going to be ready until six. So until then, the girls are going to have to hang there, at which point they say, well, then let's go and get some time on the slope and off they go. That's right. Blair doesn't want to go. I don't, the reason really isn't given why Blair doesn't go with them, but she's like, well, you guys have fun. But Blair, I think it's, she just didn't want to break a sweat. She spent too much time on the hair and makeup. She didn't want to ruin that. Well, she's already walked down to the phone and back. That was her cardio for the day. I don't know if you've seen people after they've been out skiing. It's not pretty. Oh, I, I have not. So that's good to know. So well, I've never seen people, they, they're like, let's go skiing. And they put on their coats like they're going to the mall. Like <laughs> these, these people are not dressed to go, go skiing. It's like, oh, whatever coat I've got. Whatever. Do they have a hat? Do they have gloves? <laughs> it's like, it's like, We're going to assume that was all in the car. Suspension of disbelief. We'll go with that. Yeah. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to go there. But I, I agree, Matthew. I did think that too. It's like <laughs> at least a pair of fucking earmuffs. But um, this is after Joe's over in the corner whittling in the house. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, she had to have something to roast her marshmallow on. We got this whole fully stat, fully stocked house here, and there's not anything. I have to get a stick, and I've got a. <laughs> Whittle it inside. <laughs> Fuck all y'all bitches with my shavings. 
there's there's maid service there's room service with this right yeah they clean up uh so as soon as Dwayne realizes that Blair is not going skiing Dwayne's like uh gee hey guys maybe I should hang back too you know to greet the others when they show up and they're like yeah okay cool we're not suspicious at all that you're into Blair or whatever okay go by so off they go then the next scene Dwayne and Blair are just sitting by the fire and talking and laughing and bonding commendably. They're talking about his fiancee, Sheila. She's asking uh, good questions about how did they meet, asking about what they have planned for the wedding. Do you remember what he said the guest list was for the wedding? How many people? No, I don't remember. He said 700. <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be a haha rich person exaggeration. But she says, what kind of a wedding do you have planned? He says, oh, typical wedding, bride, groom, priest, 700 guests. And she says, oh, really? I want a simple wedding, only 500. <laughs> I, I don't know. 700, uh, let's hope that was a joke. That they, the writers yeah, they got to be that driving that, that we're thing. wealthy into the ground. Yeah. So the others come back. It seems that Hopper and Natalie are getting a little friendlier. Ernie and Joe are certainly also getting friendlier, but not any romantical implications. They do note that the guys haven't arrived though. And now it's getting dark and wow, it's really starting to snow outside. Well, as the girls are like, well, we should be getting going to our cabin. Dwayne's like, do you really have to go? Maybe you should wait until the snow lets up. So they say, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Let's wait. Little sidebar, Natalie walks over to Blair and says, so Blair, how do you think Hopper compares to Snake? Snake being Natalie's boyfriend that they now are mentioning literally every episode. He's become the Maris Crane of this series. <laughs> the punchline to this little interaction is Blair saying, don't you ever date someone named Bob? Or something like that. Uh, but... As the girls head off into the kitchen or wherever, a hooded figure suddenly appears outside the window. So now we have just the guys and they say, who's that? There's someone outside. Maybe it's the stripper. And Doug Savant is like, you did not hire me a stripper. And they're like, yeah, well, it's your bachelor party. Woo! Open the door. In comes Cloris Leachman as Beverly Ann. That's who I want as my stripper. Yeah. That I'm sure she'd be way more fun and entertaining, really and truly. <laughs> but they do comment, boy, 100 bucks sure doesn't buy what it used to. But uh, remember, we have not seen Beverly Ann yet in this episode. So she just has shown up now and she is freezing and God bless her. Cloris Leachman is such a great fucking actress. You believe she is frozen to the core with and the walking over to the and putting the blanket over her and the way she delivers the lines and her commitment to that is so strong. But what we learn is that Mr. Warner's uh, Blair's dad's executive secretary called to say she fucked up and she knew that she fucked up, but she didn't catch the girls in time. So since Beverly Ann knows that they were about to head out to a cabin where there were also a bunch of guys staying, she went after them. And they're like, you drove all the way up here in the snow in your Winnebago? And she says, no, it got stuck. So I had to hitchhike. And now the snow is getting worse. The roads are all closed. So they are all stuck there. That's why we haven't seen the other guys. Tootie, 
little bratty tootie. Our weekend is ruined. <laughs> so Blair and Dwayne say, well, let's make the best of the situation. Let's go check in the kitchen, kind of figure out what is our food supply situation. And as they go into the kitchen, Blair says, well, I'm really sorry, Dwayne, your bachelor party is ruined. And Dwayne puts his arm around her and says, I think it's turning out just fine. And it could have all ended right there if she just jumped him. Uh, thank you. I'm like, there is no problem here. It fades to commercial as though there is something wrong happening. I don't see it. I don't see a problem. Nope. Not at all. But we are at commercial with this big... And by the way, speaking of... The audience is very engaged. When the guys say, well, you girls could just stay here, you get several audience members. Woo! You get that. <laughs> it, it happens again, I think, later when Natalie says something, but we, we got some horny, horny women in the audience here. And, and I approve of that. I just want to say, oh, I okay, love, okay. love that stuff in a sitcom. Just to remind you, it is a live audience. Anyway, we're at commercial, Kevin Kelly. And oh. this is the point in the podcast where we like to take a little time to get to know our guest and do a little mini interview, if you will indulge us. I Okay, shoot. Okay. I'm an open so, book. You are very good. All right. So if you would please just start at the beginning. Curious, <laughs> uh, where were you born and where were you raised? I was born in a small town in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I definitely get a Midwestern vibe from you, yes. Yep, absolutely. My father, uh, now retired, was a minister. So we've lived in all four corners of the United States, points between. Hence, having lived in Colorado for a while and experiencing mm -hmm. the joy of skiing. Um, so the world yep. was where you were raised. Uh, but absolutely. Do you have a place that you consider your hometown? Ironically, Florida is the longest I have ever lived in one place. Oh, how long have you been here? It's about uh, 22 years now. Wow. I know. Man. Cool. So uh, a question Matthew always likes to ask regarding mm -hmm. when you were first uh, inclined to get into the performing arts, what bit you? What bit me? Um, being a preacher's kid, we were up in front of the congregation singing Kelly Family Choir, et cetera, et cetera. And I always the sang Kelly Family the... Choir? Yeah, I know. It's cornball. <gasps> oh, my God. Not since the five Donahues and there's no business like show business. <laughs> Anyhow, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, it was just like that. <laughs> um, no, uh, I guess it, it came about when um, they said, hey, you need to go get involved with the... Um, the theater group with the church and they gave me a solo and I was bit by the bug. Oh, did you actually study performance? I did. I went to Kansas State University, which was actually a huge uh, agricultural school, but it had a really excellent music and theater program there. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, yeah. And it was in where? Manhattan, Kansas. Man the oh. little apple, mind you. Oh, is it? Is it actually called? Yes, that? that's. There are billboards outside of Manhattan, Kansas, that say ah. "Welcome to the Little Apple." Oh, bless! That's funny. 
So yeah. you can say, I, I studied theater in Manhattan. That's right. Beautiful. Good for you. Now, I know you as being this amazing musical theater guy. You do it all. You are a quadruple threat. You act, you sing, you dance, you're funny, you improvise. Uh, I'm not aware that you have ever worked for the theme parks. Have you ever worked for any of them? Um, very briefly for uh, Universal. I ask because I'm thinking it is so interesting to find someone who has made his living through being a song and dance guy uh, and without at least supplementing his income with a little something at the theme parks. That's that's right. very common here. Uh, but uh, you are not a common artist because you are also <laughs> an educator. You are a, a I am. music teacher. You teach what? Do you teach voice and piano or? Uh, I teach voice and I used to teach piano. I kind of have pushed that aside. Um, mm -hmm. But I do uh, definitely teach voice and uh, audition technique. Yes. And, and that's my private studio. Uh, but I also have uh, the Connected Performer, which is an online musical theater studio with my dear friend, Natalie Cordon. The called The Connected Performer. The wonderful, the wonderful mm -hmm. Natalie. And so The Connected Performer is what? It is geared towards young professionals just coming out um, of college from their BFA programs, from their BA programs, whatever. Uh, jumping into the deep end into the professional world of acting. We found in um, our research before we started this company is that so many, uh, so many students in the BFA programs, they have great technique, but they are not taught how to run it as a business. So yeah. we are there to help them with their auditioning, with their self tapes, um, and really getting down to the nitty gritty of who they are as an actor and understanding that so they can represent themselves and actually book some goddamn jobs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it. That's great. And that's the thing you hear about that so much with people who have studied, like study studied, mm -hmm. and they get out of school and then they don't know what they're doing. They, they don't know how to go out and find work. Right. They don't know the business of the show business. All they've done is the show. Exactly. And that's what we both, we both experienced that. We had mm -hmm. no freaking clue, but oh, God dang it. We are going to go to the Broadway. We are going to make this happen. <laughs> exactly. I have a dream. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So we're, we're definitely filling a, a gap there yeah, with what we offer. Definitely a needed service. And I have had the pleasure of working with you a few times. Yes, sir. I did a cabaret called For the Ladies, Songs That Men Should Never Sing. And I was <laughs> thrilled when I was able to book you as my accompanist for that. That was a fun, that was a fun show to do. It I'm glad was. I'm glad we got to do that. It was I mean, just just to hear you sing these songs that well the men aren't supposed to sing. I had a, a little anecdote that I wrote for the show and I'm going to repeat it here. When okay. I said, uh, I am here and I'm being supported by Kevin Kelly. And well, we actually did a show once. We did a concert version of Sweeney Todd with Mad Cow yes. Theater and the Orlando Philharmonic. And I said, and, and you were in the chorus. I was yes, Pirelli. I, was. I said, That's, that is ladies and gentlemen, what we call a theatrical anomaly. <laughs> in this case, I was a lead and Kevin Kelly was in the chorus. Typically what happens is Kevin Kelly is a lead and I am in the audience. Oh, stop. Thank you. I'm here all night. 
And nowadays we occasionally run into each other in the park. As we've discovered, right. we don't live that far away. And you and your magnificently talented costumer husband, Skip Stewart. Yes. Uh-huh. Who is now semi-retired from that business, mind you, after 44 years. Well, it's been great having you on the show. I'm so thrilled that we've uh, brought you here and had a chance to introduce you to our tens of listeners. But Kevin Kelly, yes, enough about you. Oh, okay. We have got to get back to this conundrum, this brouhaha in which Blair has found herself. Okay, well, let's do it. So when we come back from commercial, we have a little scene lit here that is cut from syndication. So what it is, is that Tootie is getting a little crazy about uh, it's snowing. We could be stuck here for days. And she takes a picture of Ernie and Hopper. And they say, so uh, if you're not happy about being stuck here, why are you taking pictures? And Tootie says, to identify our bodies. Isn't anybody worried? What if the electricity goes out? What if we run out of firewood? What if there's an avalanche? And Natalie says, what if we have to listen to her for three days? Aha! Good line taking the piss out of annoying Tootie, because Tootie can get annoying. And then at this point, the men propose uh, a poker game, at which point Beverly Ann says, oh, that's like go fish, isn't it? And they say, uh, yeah, but it's for money. And Beverly Ann says, oh, I've got some money here. And Hopper, with devious intent in his eyes, says, deal her in. So this sets up laughter. the poker <laughs> and this sets up the poker game that later is in progress. So we, yeah, we really don't miss this scene because the next scene is what we actually come back to from commercial in the syndicated version where Blair has Joe in the kitchen and Blair is like, we got a problem. We need to get out of here. Dwayne has a crush on me. And Joe says, what Blair? Not every guy you meet falls in love with you. The man's getting married next week. Kind of a, would you get the fuck over yourself? And Blair's like, well, really? You think so? And Joe's like, come on. You know, you're not all that, Blair. So she actually <laughs> manages to convince Blair that she's uh, reading more into this than is actually there. So great. And I take issue. You, I'm you sorry. You, Matthew, talk, please. Joe, you weren't there for the conversation. So you're telling your best friend, stop overreacting. Like, bitch, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one he put his arm around. I was the one he was forehead to forehead with saying that he found the right woman, for God's sake. I'm telling you this as a friend. Yeah. I'm the one who has dated a man, unlike you, Joe. <laughs> She does get a little crack in there where she says, you seem to know a lot about men, Joe. You must have read a book. <laughs> By the way, this episode there, I'm not saying there aren't laughs, but it's not particularly funny. Not at all. There's stuff in it. But uh, back at the beginning of the episode, I wanted to point these out. We had this uh, attempts at humor from stating the obvious. Things like Andy saying, guys, take me with you. It'll be like I'm not even there. And the response is, that's because you won't be there. Hold for laugh. <sighs> so what you're saying is, in so many words, I can't go. And they say, no, those are the exact words. Hold for laugh. <laughs> when they arrive, 
Joe says, so uh, guys, who are you? And they say, oh, well, I'm Hopper and this is Ernie and this is Dwayne. And she's like, no, no, not who are you as in introduce yourself. Who are you as in what the hell are your faces doing in our cabin? So, and, and one more, I'm sorry, I'll do one more. This is four. When Joe says, I have a personal question for you, Hopper. Could you put some clothes on? It's a, this is stating the obvious in places where there should be jokes. Like the audience is like, ha 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 ha, that could have been funny. You see what I'm saying though? Do you, do you agree with me? Yeah, I think the team was really phoning it in, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of attempts at humor from nothing. Yeah, not a lot of work being put into this. But anyhow, um, then we have a lovely cringy scene where back in the living room of the cabin, Tootie and Natalie are reading, Beverly Ann were playing out the trope of the novice poker player. I don't know what I'm doing. All I have is, you know, I have two pair, a pair of ones and another pair of ones. Uh, four aces, you know, that, that <laughs> trope that you've seen so many times where Beverly Ann in her stupidity and uh, naivete, about the game and how it's played is actually crushing the other two. So then we have a cringy exchange between Blair and Dwayne. And I'm sorry, Matthew, he hates it when I do this. I have to read it word for word from the script. Oh. Dwayne sits down next to Blair on the hearth of the fireplace. And he says, I hope you don't think I was being too forward. And she says, no, 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 no. I just didn't understand, meaning, Joe convinced her that there's nothing there. And then he says, but now you do understand. And Blair says, oh, perfectly. I think she even puts her hand on his leg here. And he says, I just can't believe how lucky I am to have found the right woman. And Blair says, well, you don't know how happy I am to hear you say that. And he says, oh, Blair, what am I going to tell Sheila? And she says, tell her what you just told me. And he says, I will, but it's going to break her heart. Break her heart? Well, how do you think she's going to react when I tell her that I'm in love with you and that the wedding's off? Audience response. So we have this exchange back and forth where he means one thing, she means another. And we know this from sentence one. We know what's going on here. Ugh. Yeah, it's kind of painful. It is. It really is. So Blair quickly retreats to the kitchen where Joe is cooking something. What the fuck was she cooking in that skillet? I think she was cooking spam. It looked like spam. No. It looked like spam to me. <laughs> and then she seasoned it. She seasoned the spam. It is already 90% salt. Mm-hmm. Now, and, I'm and not it, saying I don't love a good spam every once in a while, but... Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is that the skillet, there was no smoke coming off of it. There was no mm-hmm. heat or any, you know, red coloring of the burner or anything. It was so clearly a prop. And and it was like a cast iron skillet that she was holding with her yes. hand. You can't hold a heated cast iron skillet with your hand. You need a pot holder. And I'm sorry, I think that I take offense at this because they've established that they are from wealthy families wouldn't they have something better than spam in the kitchen? These just saying. Uh, mm-hmm. They I, brought no food with them. It's not like they showed up with like 
grocery bags of food. They just showed up at this place. Well, the girls did. And Blair did say that it was stocked, didn't she? Didn't see it's stocked. It's got food. It's got linens. It's got a guy in a towel. A hundred cans of spam and a guy in a towel. (laughs) It's fully stocked with no bedrooms, apparently, as we're about to find out. I thought that too. I'm like, yeah, wow. Again, this is a rich person's corporate cabin. Uh, this does not reek of any sort of executive suite or luxurious accommodations. <laughs> so at this point, Blair is like, Joe, he has told me explicitly he wants to call off the wedding and he's in love with me. And Joe just laughs and says, well, how do you like that? I was wrong. And then she says, so what did you do to encourage him? And Blair is like, what? I was just being friendly. And Joe was like, Blair, you flirt with every guy you meet. Did you toss your hair back and giggle? She goes, you mean like this? <laughs> and does her Blair thing. Yep. And then it becomes very apparent that Blair is like, oh, fuck. I maybe kind of sort of brought this on myself, which I don't think she really did. But <laughs> anyway. Men are incapable of controlling their sexual desire. So, yes, Blair is completely 100% at fault for just being beautiful and kind. Mm-hmm. That This man is basically throwing his life away for because he can't control it. The misogyny in this episode is baffling. Oh, and there's more to come, kids. <laughs> Buckle up, hunker down. The little scene lit cut from syndication as they are preparing for bed. We have the girls uh, piled into one of the sleeper sofas. There are two sleeper sofas. This is when it becomes apparent. Ain't no bedroom. When they're going off in the other direction, that's just a bathroom. It's This is like a one-room cabin with a kitchen. So It just made me wonder where all those nine men were going to (laughs) sleep. So Blair is actually setting up on the floor. Uh, The other three are on the couch sleeper sofa rather beverly ann is unfolding blankets and doing all that motherly you know putting pillows and pillowcases stuff and all that so as Dwayne passes through the room he walks over to blair and says sweet dreams (laughs) and they leave and so the girls are like what is going on here and (laughs) and of course i'm thinking she hasn't talked to she did when he put his arm around her before the commercial why didn't she say, oh, wow, I'm sorry. You are totally misreading this situation. If I'm, if I'm reading the situation right, you putting your arm around me, I think implies that you are romantically interested in me. Call me fucking crazy. Uh, you're crazy, but you're right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the girls are like, Wait, what was that about? What's going on? And I shit you not, Joe because she already knows and is amused to no end by Blair being in this conundrum. She turns to Blair and says, sing out, Louise. Because <laughs> that's something Joe would say. Well, the, well uh, yeah, because when it comes to musical theater references, yep, that's from the Broadway musical Gypsy, ladies and gentlemen, referring back to lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. That's our full circle Oprah moment there. But Joe, there is actually another musical theater reference here just because of the hanging of the sheets between to divide the two sleeper sofas. 
Seven Brides Summer for Seven Stock. Brothers? No, I'm, this is movie musical. Summerstock, Marjorie Maine sits on one side of the sheets that separate oh. the men and the women in the barn. That's right. Judy Garland and Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. I, I didn't even think about that, but you're totally right. Yeah. So uh, that's what the scene is that's cut. And the only reason I brought it up was because of that stupid sing out. What? <laughs> Thank you, middle-aged vaudevillian writers in the writer's room. <sighs> then the next scene. We are panning across the set at night. Everyone is asleep. It is dark. We go from right to left. We start with Dwayne and Hopper in bed together. Hot. Giggity. That was hot. Uh, Ernie is sleeping on the floor. Then we have this clothesline of bed sheets, as you mentioned, separating the room. Because it is impossible for men to sleep in a room with other women without <laughs> raping them. So uh, thank we you. have to establish that these adults have to fucking put a curtain up between them. They can't even watch each other sleep because those girls are going to wake up in a bukkake scene. No. <laughs> no. Oh, oh Matthew, thank you for that. It would have been fun if maybe Beverly Ann had insisted. That could have been something... I could have maybe gotten behind where they just went, but Beverly, come, okay, fine. Put the sheets up, fine. And Blair, you ain't getting laid in that sister wives nightgown you're wearing. Oh my God, (laughs) yes, what was that? What the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) So continuing our pan across to give us the landscape of this scene, yes. Oh yes. Uh, uh, Ernie is on the floor, and next to the sheet, and then on the other side of the sheet is where Blair is on the floor. And then to her left are the other three girls in the sleeper sofa. Beverly Ann is in a chair back behind them up near the window. So Ernie stirs and his arm flops over onto Blair on the other side of the sheet. And Blair is like, hey, hey, over the line. And he's like, hmm, what, what? She's like, over the line. He goes, oh, oh, sorry, Blair. Well, Dwayne hears that Blair is on the other side of that sheet. And he's like, hey, Ernie, um, I think you'll sleep better up here. Okay. And so they swap positions. And again, the audience, Well, also cut from syndication was the scene where Hopper said, what is poking me in the butt? (laughs) (laughs) As soon as this happens, Blair wakes up Joe, nudges her. And, you know, unheard by the others. Joe, my back is hurting. Switch with me. Okay. And they swap. So now we have this wacky scenario where Joe and Dwayne are on either side of the sheet, but Dwayne doesn't know it's Joe. (laughs) And then Dwayne says, darling, I'm lying next to you. And this is going to be the most exciting night of our lives. This is? does he think they're going to fuck there with uh, really (laughs) going to cut a hole in the sheet? I mean, what's happening here? (laughs) Um, Okay. So the punchline of this, thankfully, which doesn't go on more than that one line, Joe pulls the sheet aside and says, but will you respect me in the morning? (laughs) So uh, anyway, so reeling from this and being confused, he steps through the sheet and probably my favorite moment of the entire episode. He steps through the sheet to 
to be met face to face with Beverly Ann. Can I help you? <laughs> it's it's literally like it's like a, a, a Frau Blucher uh, Nurse Diesel moment from like a Mel Brooks movie, isn't it? Where she's just if only dead serious. <laughs> just can I help? Like, what are you doing here? Compromising the virtue of my young girls, you know. It's, it was just, she delivers it so beautifully. And that's the one time when the camera work is helping them, where it's just suddenly she's just there in the shot. It's wonderful. So then Beverly Ann and he have a talk. Again, all of these conversations are happening while other people are sleeping a foot and a half away. And yet some people hear some things and most of the time, nobody hears anything. It's like, really, really? Anyhow, uh, Dwayne and Beverly Ann now have a heart to heart. She starts talking about her marriage and he's like, well, 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 tell me about your marriage. And she says, well, everyone has cold feet. And he says, well, what happened with your marriage? And she says, oh, he was killed, killed dead, torn apart by wild animals. Now we know that she and Frank divorced, Kevin. This is, yes. this is the thing. So she's telling this tall tale and then she pretends to start crying and needing him to console her and hugging all over him now it's like okay well now who's the horny one beverly ann yeah she was looking for the sympathy fuck what what is happening here as far as that and then as i swear to god after she does this whole routine and talks about the marriage they both sit down kind of a and then doug savant speaks for the entire audience when he says I am so confused. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. Yeah, as are we, Doug, as are we. But the final word of this heart-to-heart, Beverly Ann says, maybe you shouldn't mistake infatuation for real love. Ah, that's actually a good lesson, truly. Mm -hmm. So the next scene, next morning. Blair wakes up and asks Beverly Ann what she thinks about the whole thing. And Joe thinks I crave attention too much and that I maybe flirted with him and let him on and I don't know what to do. And Beverly Ann has fallen asleep while Blair's been talking to her. Ha <laughs> ha! So Blair goes into the kitchen. Dwayne is there. She apologizes to him saying she didn't mean to lead him on if that's what he feels she did. And he says, no, it's okay. I just got cold feet and I was wrong to put you through this. And then he says, Blair, you're terrific. And then she goes to giggle and flick her hair. And then she quickly stops herself and says, I've got to get this fixed. Best moment of the show. You think so? Yeah, honestly. Hmm. I don't hate it. I love Lisa Welchel and she is fantastic even with the crappiest of material. Um, but no, I'm still, my, my favorite moment is still the Beverly Ann. Can I help you? Oh. So last moments of the episode are, they wake up to the sound of snow plows. It's all like, yay, we can leave. We can leave our cabin. That's terrific. At which point Hopper jumps up from behind the couch and says, <laughs> you don't have to, if you don't want to. And their reactions are great. Like, ah. Because that's not creepy. No, not at all for a 35-year-old man to be creeping on some teenage girls. Uh, so he makes one last pass at Natalie, like, what do you say? And Natalie says, Hopper, you know, I'm not usually the shy type of a person, but I think I'm going to let this one slip away. 
Ooh, burn! Using your words against you, Hopper. Scorched! Ugh! <laughs> she got you. Missed opportunity, though. Come How on. So? Well, they could have cut away to them sneaking off to the bathroom together. Come on, it's the only other room in the house other than the kitchen. Uh, thank you. I'm the same way. It's like, Natalie, why would you let that one slip away? I'd, I'd let that one slip in if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I don't. What are you no. talking about? What do you, what do you mean? Hmm? I'll, I'll show you later. Oh. So that's the end of our episode. Not oh. my favorite. Not particularly funny. Uh, I guess the characters, at least the characters, other than Joe, Joe Whittling, that's, that's getting even a little bit too earthy for Joe. Um, but everyone pretty much was who they were in the circumstance. So at least we got to give the show credit for that, that no one suddenly said, oh, well, it just so happens I'm an Olympic level skier and I have a helicopter in the backyard. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm just going to say yeah. this happened and uh, move on. Final thoughts, Matthew Arder. Um, we got to look at Doug Savant for 23 minutes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we got to see Mark Savalli's bare chest for a couple of minutes. And uh, that is pauseworthy if you are yeah. watching it. Uh, on it counts for a DVD. little softcore porn there. <laughs> very softcore. Very, very soft. Very softcore porn. Final words about the episode, Kevin Kelly. Um, that's time I'll never get back. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow. But you know what? I'm glad I watched it because I got to spend the time with you two. Oh, so Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. I've been bugging you about this for quite some time. Uh, back when we did our Cole Porter review cabaret up at the Villages. Yes, to, the to... rise and fall of blah, 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 blah. I can't remember the title. It's The decline and fall of the entire world is seen, seen through the, the eyes, eyes of, of Cole, Cole Porter. Porter. There it is. That is it? Yep. You yeah. remembered. I don't remember. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yep. It's it's an entire review of literally the unknown Cole Porter yes. songs. And when you take that and present it to an audience of people at the villages, say, here's a whole bunch of songs you don't know. The response was, I what what is that? I don't know any of the I'm here to see a Cole Porter show. Why mm-hmm. am I not hearing anything that I've heard before? <laughs> And there is a loose tie-in here because the amount of applause from this episode and what we did there is about the same. Oh, my! The, another <laughs> Oprah full circle moment. See, full circle. Full there circle. it is right there. So thank you again so much, Kevin Kelly. You are welcome. Thank it's you. It's always great to see you. Smooches and goodbye. Mwah. Mwah. There you have it. That was Kevin Kelly. Next week, we're going to be watching Season 8, Episode 17, called Cupid's Revenge. You can watch the show ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. 
Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.